And welcome back to the Golf Intervention Podcast. This is a podcast where we take on the big questions, the big questions about golf improvement. And and we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into these. My man Rob Fails, also on the mic tonight. How you doing, Rob? Good evening, Eric. I'm doing great. How are you? Just dandy, man. We had a good conversation today when I was in carpool line. That was good um, <laughs> about today's show. And today's show is good. We're gonna we're gonna introduce a series that we're gonna cover, um, really, which which we teased in the last episode about how to take less shots, really, from the tee to the green. And what and what kind of what we introduced in season one. If you were tuning in, and I hope that you did, especially in episode one and two. We talked about really you divide your shots to into two bucket two major buckets putting and then shots to green is that right Rob correct and then inside of that inside shots to green there's really three skills which we're going to cover so each one of these which we're going to discuss today is going to have its own episode okay first one what starts the hole or tee shot right that's the first one second one is going to be an approach shot, meaning if I've executed my tee shot, I should have a clear shot where I could get, hopefully, to the green or in position uh, that I should be in. And then if I don't get it on the green in regulation, I should be able to have a shot. I call it in the finesse area. You know, maybe, I don't know, is there a delineation on this? Is it 30 yards? I could probably change. I like 40 yards yeah, and in, right? So that. 38, 39 would still be short game, yeah. right? We call that short game, right? So people call that different things. And this is going to be short game minus putting, so I don't want to be confusing about that. Then putting is putting, right? So those are your. So we got the two big buckets, putting and shots to green, and then we got the three skills: driving, approach, and short game. And then the only other thing that ever takes us uh, puts a score on our scorecard is going to be a penalty, right? A penalty or what or we call a disruptor, yep. which is kind of like it's like an effective penalty. And again, that definition yes. we'll go over as we go. So I was thinking about this, Rob. I was really excited about this series because every time you do a lesson, every time someone comes in and wants to improve, you have to start with what their what their thoughts are about what it means to improve, what, what you call their conventions. And I would say that so many times. Um, I hear, man, if I just putted a little bit better, I'd be better. Or, you know, like I just need to do this one thing a little bit better. Um Maybe that's true, but I will say this long-held notion that if I just putted better, I'd be a better player is totally not true at all. And as we take you through these levels of player, you're going to see that the shots that we take from tee to green are one of the biggest, if not the biggest, separator between the levels of player, which we refer to as level one, level two, and level three. And I like to use the illustration if you were to go out and play with the best player at your country club or the best player that you knew, and you were, you know, let's say a mid-range handicap golf or something like that, and which part of your game, putting or shots to green, if you're a 20 handicapper, is going to be most similar, most likely, to the good player? It's going to be your putting. Where they're yep. going to separate themselves from you is going to be in their ball striking. Correct. And I just want to color that in with some stats. Uh, when we look at a golfer who is averaging basically above uh, 92, right, 90, 94-ish, uh, they're going to have around 38 putts, right? Now, if we look all the way down at our Tor Pro, 
right? Yeah. <laughs> Averaging under par, they've got 29 putts. Right. So, so you're t- you do the math. Correct. So the, the weight of that. How many shots is that? The weight of that is, <laughs> is much more proportioned to the strokes they take from tee to the green. Correct. And by the way, I'm going to also point this out, okay, because this is something I think about. The golf course that that tour player is playing versus the golf course that the 20 handicap is playing is most different between tee and green. The greens are going to be yes. the most similar. So you're talking about a way difficult, more difficult golf course. So that ball striking separation, like if you move the tour player up onto the tee that the 20 handicapper is playing at 6,000 yards, 5,800 yards, the scoring difference is not going to be is not going to be that. It's going to be way better. Okay, I was watching a YouTube right. video of, of Bryson DeChambeau trying to shoot. I don't know what it was, some ridiculous score from the ladies' tees, or the you know the most forward tees, what we traditionally have called the ladies' tees. I mean, the guy could shoot. He could shoot fifty four every time he played. I mean, he hits the ball so good from that distance. So what we're saying is. <laughs> The ball striking is really where you can make big strides to separate yourself from one level player to another. And that's what we're about on the golf intervention. It's about jumping levels from being one type of player to the next. So what we're going to do today is sort of define out a little bit um, the importance of those skills, which we just kind of introduced. Also, let's review quickly, Rob, what level one versus level two versus level three golfer really is just quickly just like a little summary um if you haven't tuned in before we kind of want to reiterate this and if you have tuned in before that's okay the more you hear things like this the better we want you to be able to put yourself into a place where you see who you are as a golfer and understand your stats and who you are and how you likely play and then what it's going to take to get to the next level because that's really what we're all about so let's get a little detail here about what the levels are like let's get a picture of that yeah, so using uh, GameForge's data and kind of how they break uh, the different skill levels down, uh, we look at a level one golfer averaging 88 and above. Level two golfers, it's going to be a really large bucket of golfers, but it'll be between 76 and 88. And then level three golfers are going to are going to be uh, 76 and below scoring. Yeah, average. so it's it's almost like um, not that we're using handicap as the as the reference point here, because there's some definite issues with that, but it's almost like from beginner golfer all the way to bogey golfer, and then bogey golfer all the way to scratch golfer, and then better than scratch. Yes. That's kind of correct. That's kind of your. It's easy. People can picture that a little bit. And like I was yep. saying, you can picture a 20 handicapper, which I think is still a very competent golfer, by the way. Uh, that bogey or just plus bogey golfer versus the club champion. Okay, and then. And then you know there's a bit there's a big gap in how they hit the ball, right? Big gap. Yes. And the, and likely the club, club champion is a better putter too. I'm not saying they're not, but if you were just on the putting green, watching a 20 handicapper versus a scratch golfer putt, you might notice like notice a huge huge difference. Okay. Um, but as soon as they got in, out and played a couple holes, you probably notice a huge difference. So we're talking on this series about how can we improve our scoring by taking fewer shots you know basically from the tee to the green and we're going to start at the green that's what we decided which makes the most sense to me we're going to start in the short game area which we've defined as 40 yards and and under um and so let's kind of think about what it is that we need to do what are the what are the strong bullet points we need to think about there to start with rob 
So with most of our podcasts and the way we do this, we like to break things down into level one, level two, like in level three, like we just did. So all of this has to have context behind it. So for who are we talking about? For a level one golfer, it is literally hitting the green. If you can get the ball on the green in one shot when you're inside 40 yards, that's all you got to do for the most part. We're talking about doing that over and over. The, The statistical thing plays out. When you can do yes. that over and over and over and over again, we have to get yes. away from this notion. And this is, and I was this way for a long time. I mean, I think we all were this way for a long time until you kind of mature and learn this game more. It's like we, we tend to play with a single bullet theory. We're like one shot, one green, one hole location. Correct. Boom, I'm going to hit it. If I don't hit it there, I'm going to. And that's really not what we're talking about here. We're saying if you could play that shot 12 times in a round. What is the way that you're going to play that in a manner that's going to make your 12 holes better rather than trying to pull off one shot and, and in the moment? Is that, isn't that kind of the picture we're trying to create yes. here? And um, would, it, would a 14- or 15-year-old Rob Fails been ascribing to that? Uh, I'm going to try to get this on. <laughs> no shot. No shot. A, I think a, it's hard. Yeah, no, it no. Is, it's, it's hard to do. And it's yeah. a little bit hard to coach somebody up on that, I will say. But I think that in this level, level one, the picture of this level to me is number one. First step is I got to stop the bleeding a little bit in my short game. Okay, we're just put, we're putting yeah. a little uh, a bandage on the wound, so to speak. Saying if I'm missing the green from inside of forty yards, I've effectively taken what we call a disruptor. It's like an effective penalty shot. Yeah. And so, cut, why? Because I got a, I got another short game shot, right? And right. I, and I love the way that you you define it. Like each shot has a value. Okay. And, and so if my value is I'm off the green, I need to get on the green, okay? That's the value of the shot that you're about to hit. And so if I'm off the green short game shot and then I'm off the green short game shot again, I have not accomplished that. Therefore, correct. I have a disruptor, correct? So that it feels like a penalty. Yes, and uh, Hunter Brown actually had a really good uh, a really good way to describe this is that if you, if you make a bogey, like on a lot of par fours or even par threes, a bogey, you're going to lose about half a shot, maybe a little bit more than half a shot. If you make a double, now you're losing a shot and a half. So when it comes to the strokes that you lost, it's more than double the penalty, right? Because oh, if okay, yeah, that's that's yeah, even, that's that's interesting. Shout out Hunter Brown. So it's that was so big, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so if you can think of it in that light. Okay, you're never having that happen. I, I say never, but like it's just happening much less than it already would. But then it doesn't guarantee that you're not going to throw in some P12s and some P6s to that too. Yeah, meaning, meaning you're hitting so, it. Uh, P12, P6, for those of you just tuning in, that's the distance from the hole, right? Like in my position. Yes, proximity. Proximity, sorry, yeah. six feet. And there's some statistical weight to that, which we will definitely get into with level two and level three player here. The thing with... The thing with the level one golfer, and we're going to get into the, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the techniques here. I think on these shots and like how we're how we're playing and what the decision is. I like you to think about it like this: if I if I'm standing off a green twenty yards away, I don't really have anything to go over. The likelihood of a le- like what is the length of a putt that a level one golfer has a really good shot at making? Five feet. I was, yeah, I mean, right? We're just being honest. 
five feet, four feet, like really good shot at making that one, right? And if I were, if a level one golfer, and I don't have the data right in front of me, had ten five foot putts in a round, they're not probably making more than five. I wouldn't think, depending on who they are. Okay, they're not making tons. Yeah, I was thinking about what the what the fifty fifty would be. It'd probably be a little less than fifty fifty. If I'm gonna, if I'm Correct. guessing. Um, so level three golfer fifty fifty elite tour fifty fifties eight feet. Yeah, so we're looking at that as, you know, <laughs> we're scaling this down. So if I'm standing off the green, okay, and I and I look at that and I'm realistic about, okay, what is my opportunity here? To your point about losing a stroke and a half, okay, if I just if I get it on the green to 20 feet, I'll bet you the likelihood of two putting at 20 feet is pretty good, okay? The likelihood yep. of one putting is very low. That's fine. The likelihood of one putting from eight feet is very low. So what we're saying is if I can get on there inside of 20 feet, probably is a really good thought about that in a way. Um, yeah, especially level two golfers mm-hmm. for sure. I'm on the green. Oh, sorry. No, I was thinking 12. You said 20. I said 20. 20. Yeah. yeah, level. No, I like 20. I like 20 for yeah, level because one. because I yeah. think it, if, I'm, if I'm going 30 feet, I'm, I'm three put. I mean, there's going to be a fair amount of three putts at 30 feet as level one player. So, But 20 feet all around the hole – is a 40-foot wide area to hit the ball in. And then my expected outcome there is very, very likely. It's very, very close to three, three total shots. One from off the green on, and then two putts, okay? And will I hit it closer sometimes? Yeah, and make the putt? Yeah, I mean, that's good. So I'm going to gain some stuff there. Point being, if you were a level one golfer and you put it on the green and two putted every time when you were inside of forty feet, you would you would improve your score, hundred percent. Yes. So in the moment when you're competing, that could be a little tricky. You want to win the hole for your partner. You want stuff, but if you're playing stroke play and you really want to get the best you can get at golf, that's the key. Okay. So now we've determined. Hopefully, we've sold the idea of this proximity being a little bit wider for a level one golfer, just basically on the green is going to really help you out. What type of techniques am I going to be using to get myself just on the green? I mean, can we picture this as a, I mean, what are we going to do here, Rob? What's, what, what, is, yeah. what are we going to encourage the level one golfer to do from this distance around the green? So thinking about a level one golfer, contact point on the face has to be the number one priority. If you can choose a strategy that's going to increase the likelihood that you get the impact spot on the face, then we're going to recommend that you do that. The less loft we use, the less power we need. Okay. That's typically the case. I don't have to make as big of a swing. Okay. It could be putter. It could be hybrid. It could be seven or six iron. Okay. Something like that. But also, the whole face is closer to the leading edge than anything else. If you look at the yes. putter, the the putter face is, is flat, right? A seven iron face has, you know, a little bit of loft to it, but the leading edge is still very manageable there. It's okay. So the bottom yes. of your club, the bottom of the front of your club face, um, that line where it hits the ground is what we call the leading edge of your club. And the problem with contact on short game, a lot of times we're going to chunk the ball into the ground, you know, chunk it into the club. But if I hit one and it's really bad and I hit the ball but didn't chunk it, it's a leading edge shot typically. It could be off the heel or toe, but it's typically a leading edge shot that goes flying over the green, right? So if I take a higher lofted club, 
the face where I want to hit it, the sweet spot is way further back because the loft is bent backwards from the leading edge. So I got to manage that better. And because it has more loft, I've got to take a bigger swing, right? So all these things, I got to swing faster. All these things are starting to come into play. The flatter the face is, the less the leading loft, the leading edge is an issue, and the less swing I need to make at it. And that swing control is really what lends to strike control, in my opinion. I mean, that's what I see. That's just how I define it. Would you see it any differently than that? I, I definitely agree. Yeah, we we see this with with all levels of golfers. Is that in Victor Hovland being a great example? Like basically, Joe Mayo gave him a technique that presented the, more of the club face to the ball. Right? It gave him more margin of error on his arc height and allowed him to more accurately predict where the ball is going. So this isn't just for level one golfers. This is for everyone. Is like quality of strike has to be number one. So if you can use a putter to ensure that you get that quality of strike, putt it. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of using a hybrid in some scenarios. If you can putt it with a hybrid, um, I'm a fan of developing a putting like technique with something that's got a little more loft on it. Maybe, a an eight iron or a seven iron where that leading edge is still out of the way. But I would say once you get to pitching wedge, it's kind of like a, you know, that's, that's kind of in between. Mm-hmm. You can still kind of do it with pitching wedge. And then once you get more loft with than a pitching wedge, then I think things typically start needing to change in order to get the face on the golf ball. Yeah. And then depending on the distance. So, so everything here is tricky on short game because level one golfers, a lot of times their biggest question is this, when I'm this far away, what do I do? Right. And the answer to that is tricky because the the environment and sort of the de- design of the hole and where up where my ball sits and its lie and what's in the way, these really lend to the answer to that question. And yep. I always say this, and hopefully it's true because it, it's one of those things I always say, okay, is that Jack Nicholas said, in a, I think he wrote in Golf My Way, basically, if you can putt, you should putt. That's always your first order of business. Jack Nicholas said that. If you can putt, putt. What we say on golf intervention is if you even question if it's reasonable to putt, then you're putting as a level one player. Like if you're even like you yes. even question like is it even reasonable, then yes, it's reasonable enough for you to putt, so putt it. <laughs> um, can you putt it with a hybrid? Yeah, if you're more comfortable with that, do that. Um, then if we decide putting isn't reasonable, maybe I'm in the rough, maybe I'm you know too far away, maybe there's sprinkler heads, like all these things can play a role. I'm going to hit the chip, that low running shot. And yep. that shot, by the way, in the United States, I swear to you, can bounce onto the green. It does not have to land with its first bounce on the green. It can bounce several times before it gets onto the green. In fact, it a lot of times in a level one player should should do that. Um, we, yeah, especially if you're doing it with something that's got low enough loft, right? Like mm-hmm. eight iron, seven iron, yeah. in having a putting like technique. Yeah. Putting like technique. So it's hard on a podcast to communicate that as a technique. We're not gonna we're gonna give you the ideas behind the technique, and if you need help with that, you're gonna have to probably go take a lesson or whatever. But we're gonna describe yeah. the ideas behind that. So. You know, a putting like chipping technique to me is a seven iron or an eight iron grip down like you're holding your putter. You know, feet are pretty close together. Ball's just in the middle of your stance or maybe one ball back of center. Nothing crazy. Don't have to get your hands way forward. These are some things that cause some issues. And then just practice literally putting, you know, just putt it. Yeah. Um, you don't have to get real wristy. You don't have to turn a lot. You're just trying to 
just hit that punch out. And one thing that I would tell you is that the next time I see someone practicing putting off the green will be the first time I see somebody practicing Mm. putting off the green. Yet if you go out and play with a lot of people, they play that shot all the time. So I think it's really interesting. If you're going to be putting from off the green, practice putting from off the green. Don't be ashamed of it. Get to the short game area and practice it. That is a skill that you use to help you play better. So you should be out there practicing it. That's just my opinion, but I never see anybody practice it. Agreed. Um, I would say that if we go conversely to, like, what's the big issue with contact? Like, what is the big problem that we see people running into? And I know what what it is for me. It's just, like, it's the assumption that every shot should be played with a sand wedge or a lob wedge, and then I'm just literally going to swing harder or easier (laughs) depending on how far I want to fly it. And there's not a ton of, you know, technique involved in it. And it's just a misconception, you know, and I think this misconception may come from just watching golf on TV. Is that fair enough? I mean, this is agree. Yeah, because those those are like the the very end of level three golfers. Right. Mm -hmm. So for them, it is P6 or bust. Right. They are trying to get it inside of six feet or make it. (laughs) And. Right, the the strategy that they're using is actually to take out a little bit of the influence of green reading, right? right? So if you think about putting from hundred feet, how hard is it to read that green? Yeah, it's incredibly hard. If you're trying to hit it, to whereas six if you feet. can take, yeah, right, exactly, right. So if you can take a wedge and take ninety percent of that out, now it becomes much easier to read because their ability to land the ball where they want is much better than their ability to read a green from that distance. So statistically, it makes sense for them to just say, hey, I'm just going to use my 60 literally everywhere. Right. So that that is a level three technique. And this is the context that we're sort of after in this podcast, this episode. This is why we started the podcast 100%. right here. This is what we're after. I get this question, Eric, what do you do from here? You're like, what, what are you? Well, there's no should. Yeah, and and if you're asking me what I do from here, I'm a skilled short game player. I'm not afraid to. I'm not trying to be braggadocious, but short game is good. It's it's elite level, and so I play everything with my 60 degree almost about 90 percent play yeah. 60 degree around the in the finesse zone. Okay, but that's because I never miss it. I almost never miss it, and that's taken many many years. It's taken yeah. skill practice and effort and talent and all these things that build up and club design and working with wedges and bounces and grinds and all the things that elite players do, which we're going to get to tonight. But the fact of the matter is if you're a level one or level two player, you're probably not needing that shot. Okay. Because it's just what Robbie said. So let's go back to it. Proximity for level one player is on the green. I'm hoping inside of a 40 foot circle from the middle of the hole. It doesn't seem unreasonable to be able to do that almost all the time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, level two players are going to start thinking a little bit more about proximity, especially as they're pushing towards level one. Okay. Here's why we don't make any putts, any putts outside of 12 feet and around almost any. Mm-hmm. I think the average tour player makes one putt around greater than 13 feet. I think is at least the, you know, the, the roll of thumb. So 
we're going to have to start hitting it closer if we're going to start getting up and down a little bit, which is what's going to drive our scores down as we get to elite player, right? So that's what we're talking about. Then elite player says, I got to get it inside of six feet as often as I can because guess what? We don't make tons of putts outside. Elite tour players don't make a lot of putts outside of six feet. In fact, the stat I think I saw from GameForge, correct me if I'm wrong, is that 85% of putts for tour players are made inside of six feet. Correct. I want to yep. say that again. That's right. Okay. I want you to listen to me. For tour players, best players in the world, 85% of their putts are made from inside of six feet. That's wild. It's so it's good. It's wild. They make half of their putts. Well, the more you learn about putting, you'll, the, the more you get to appreciate that number. That's an insanely good number. Insanely yeah. good. So proximity becomes the play and so that skill that drives them towards that elite status is very different than when you're an occasional golfer so so level one sort of i think we could kind of put a bow on this a little bit just a little bit of a summary unless you had something to add to the level one yeah i would say there are times where as a level one golfer you can't putt it and you can't chip Mm -hmm. it right so when you have to pitch it which would be i would define as a shot that spends more time or more more distance in the air than it does on the ground. What are some considerations for, for those level one golfers in that scenario? Yeah, I mean, this is where you, you go through the your decision tree. Can I putt? Is it reasonable? Nope. Okay, can I hit a low running shot? Well, let me give you a visual on this. I'm in the rough. I've got a steep bunker in front of me. Um, I've got to carry it 12 yards, and then the green is narrow on the other side. It rolls into the water, okay, <laughs> which which happens, right? It doesn't happen a ton, though. Yeah. Okay, this shot really yes. doesn't happen that often. So this is where you're going to need to take a sand wedge and play a little bit of a shot. And, and what I try to do here is teach a technique with a very square face on the sand wedge mm-hmm. and just work in a little bit of a kind of a non-wristy shot just to get it over the over the bunker. Yeah. If you can go around the bunker and still get it inside of 25 feet, do it. Okay? Because, again, if you play that out yep. time after time after time after time, you're probably going to score better going around, especially if you can get it inside of 20 feet. Um, here's no a great example of this. Do you remember, do you remember uh, Cam Smith when he won the British Open? Yeah. Okay? Oh. I know on, you're, on yeah. 17. He couldn't go for the flag. Do you remember that? He chipped it out. That was amazing. I think he did. He put it off to the side. He might have putted it around. He, did. he putted it. So he puts it around the road hole bunker. <laughs> it was so good. God, I miss Cam Smith. It's too bad he's off in that fantasy land that nobody pays attention yeah. to. But he puts it around the road hole bunker and then makes it from, I don't know, was it 15 feet or something for par? So clutch. Just the most yeah. clutch moment. Poor Rory. I'm a huge Rory fan, but. Anyway, Cam Smith puts it great. So he went around. Cam Smith went around. You, level one golfer, can go around when you need to go around the bunker. He decided to go around because he knew in the moment that was my best percentage play. I was going to make three at worst from there. Hopefully, I I mean, I'm a great putter, so I can make two from there. And he did. So, so that was really cool. So I think, do you have any other thoughts about that, that play where you have to pitch it? I would agree. I think to, to your point about the square face, again, that's just margin of error, right? The, the, if you start opening up the loft, now you have less margin of error when it comes to the arc height. Um, 
and I think that's a good point that we might want to make that will uh, span across all three levels is that figure out where you need your margin of error. So the the bottom of your of your golf swing, right, the low point, is a three dimensional thing, right? It can move up, down, forward, back, and right and left. And a lot of times, our ability to control that low point in one dimension is better than our ability to control the low point in another dimension, right? So test and figure out how good are you at controlling the height of the bottom of the swing. Uh, And you can do this a couple different ways. Like the differential training stuff that we've talked about in the past is really good where you intentionally try to swing such that the bottom of the club maybe hits the very top edge of the ball. Second swing, front edge of the club into the middle of the ball. Third swing, front edge of the club below the middle of the ball. Um, you can, uh, James Radiard has a drill where he puts the, like the head of a T, like, you know, the little flat piece on the T, uh, just above the ground. So the T is basically in the ground and you try and see if you can swing where you clip the, just the head of the T without touching the ground at all. Mm. So that's an arc height Mm -hmm. test. Bunkers are good places to do arc height tests too. So you can get one grain of sand, no sand, and then start to just explore those different levels. Right, So if your ability to control the arc height isn't great, then you need to build in some margin of error, which would be D-loft. Yeah. Right? So that would be where lower lofted club, you could move in your swing in a way that would move the bottom of your swing ahead of the golf ball. That will typically D-loft the club. Um, and, yeah, like to Eric's point, just not fanning the face open if you're that person, probably a good idea. And it's interesting now, I was just going to say, when you're in that situation, I'll let you finish that up a second. It's a lot of times you don't get there often as a level one. You know, you're, you you always have options a lot of times. And if you do have to pitch over the bunker, aren't you a very high percentage of the time in the rough? Yes. So that changes things too, right? Like being able to have a little Correct. fluff under the ball. So sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But just trying to no, picture no, no, that. Right that shot that they're playing and I, and I like yeah. how you describe the arc height and this is really what Victor Hovland did work. We'll get to Victor later, but correct. Um, so let's say you're actually really good at controlling the arc height, but you don't control the low point as well, uh, right and left from your vantage point, right? So if you played around with having the bottom of your swing move closer to the target or further away from the target, and you aren't quite able to get the bottom of the swing where you want, then, but you're good at the arc height stuff, then you might want to move in a way in which you have more margin of error in that sense, which would be more of the, like, quote-unquote, using the bounce. Mm -hmm. This is where, if you need to open your face up, you can do that because you can control arc height. Yeah. That gives you that affordance, that ability to open the face and give you a little bit more bounce to play with. Um, This would be a situation where the trajectory of the handle coming into impact, right? You'd want the handle working up coming into the ball, or you'd want it working up regardless, but you'd want to make sure that the handle of the club is working up into impact so that if you can picture as the club's still moving down, it's moving down at a decreasing rate. So it's like a plane landing where it's kind of gently sort of tapering off as it's getting to the ground. And then this is also where you're going to want to allow the loft to change through impact. You're not going to want to try to hold that face off and try to keep the left wrist flat or anything like that. Or you're going to want to let the club head 
uh, as a result of momentum past the handle and allow the, the bounce to kind of be added through impact. So all those things, and there's, the rhythm plays a big piece to that too, um, all those things would give you more margin for error in terms of how the club is interacting with the ground. So then even let's say that your club happens to hit the ground three inches behind the ball, it's actually going to be gliding along the ground during that time span as opposed to sticking, right? Whereas let's say you can't manage the arc height as well, well then just get the low point in front of the ball, then if it sticks, that's fine. It's just going to happen after impact, right? So there's a bunch of different techniques that you can explore, but it needs to be especially for a level one golfer in response to how do you best get the ball on the club face? No question. And so his, he was describing the three dimensional swing arc there. Think about the club just as if you hadn't really visualized this before your club head, your club face, sort of the center of your club space, the sweet spot, it's going to be moving from the, wherever the top of your backswing is, it's going to be moving down and out Right, those are the two places, and that's going to hit. It's going to hit its low point somewhere. That would be like if you took a divot, pretty much the deepest part of your divot, and then it's going to be moving. This is the club face I'm talking about, up and in. So you went down and out, hit the low point, then you're coming up and in. And how you know where you put the ball position relative to that? Uh, what Art Robbie was describing as arc height is pretty cool if you mess around with that. Um, the in and out part is really, um, am I going to hit it off the toe or off the heel? So, yeah. And, and so, yeah. you know, ball position plays a role in that, where your weight shift plays yes. a role in that. And so I like this idea of exploring, just like you described it. Don't think of it as fault and fix. Think of it as, I'm going to try to do something different. And if I understand the cause and effect of what it is that makes the ball hit on the face where it does or dig when it hits the ground or not dig when it hits the ground, then I could play a variety of shots. And I think it's really interesting. Those of you listening might be interested to hear, who knows, like, but behind the curtain in the golf instructional world, pros love to argue with each other about stuff like this. There's a big debate that's raging on short game, right? Like, uh, well, there's one Victor Hovland camp that seems to bottom everything out, and there's this other camp that's like, no, you got to play the bounce. Frankly, you could play it all, right? Like it's just different skills. It just depends on what area of the skill are you better at. Predicting. Robbie and I have not had this discussion until right this second, but I'm like, you could play all those shots. No, none of them are wrong. Like, no. you can see great play. So whenever you say you have to do this, no, you don't have to do this, or you have to do nope. this. No, no, you don't have to do this. Like. You can do anything you want. There, there's a there's some European short game coach who's pretty cool. He's on Instagram. I can't remember his name. He teaches people to bottom out like three inches behind the ball, right? Like that's and there you know he teaches wow. tour players, right? Low point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wa- wa- watch it. It's pretty. This is what maybe wow. this is the feel. Okay, because it feeling real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you've got you know Joe Mayo. That's like no, no, no. You got to bottom out. You know, way after you hit the ball. So, but you could do both. Yeah. And I think both. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think Joe Joe would say that he's not necessarily saying that, oh, you, it's got to be this way. I think what Joe's more saying is, hey, don't completely throw out steep attack angles because they're inherently bad. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree, I think, I'd agree with that. I think Joe understands this, yeah. and I think he used what we're talking about here as far as the margin for error stuff to give get, get Victor into a high probability scenario. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. He, he's never said this is the only way. Let's go into level two. Let's wrap level one, okay? 
So level yep. one, putting a bow on this. Um, proximity is the proximity that's important here is getting it on the green. We're really in a we're really in a stop the bleeding mode in a lot of ways until our skill develops past that. That that's what we're saying. And so if you can't get it on the green with a certain proximity all the time, you gotta play the safest shots that you can. You should be working on these other things that we're talking about to build your skill set up so that in level two, what you're gonna hear about now. You could start to visualize, okay, these are, the, these are the proximities and these are the things that I need to start doing as a level two player. Um, you can't always live in putt from off the green and get better necessarily. You, know, to, you, can't, you can only progress but so far, let's put you that way. Correct. Proximity does become a play in level two and especially in level three. Yes. So what we're saying is stop the bleeding first, then start to develop these skills and practice in a way that you can, can get them on the course and start having a better result there. Um, that, that's really all we're saying. If you putt when you can putt it, play low running chip shots if you can do it. Um, your pitch shots, as we were just describing with higher loft, you have some options there in your technique, um, which really some of those high-level shots we'll talk about more in the levels that we go to. But that's really the play. And if you have to putt around a bunker, putt around a bunker. But when a, when a British, when a British open. open, like no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> so level two golfer now. Um, this is this is better than bogey golfer, essentially. We're, we're shooting in the 80s. Yes. Somewhere between there and scratch. And again, this is kind of a picture of, okay, what is it that I have to do to score this way better than level three? And then what is it that it's going to lend towards, you know, developing even a better short game? So what are the what are the pictures here as far as proximities and that kind of thing goes, Rob? Yeah, so again, for level one, you're trying to reduce your lost shots as a result of just having to chip again or putt from off the green again, right? Whereas I think of it more as like for level two, you're trying to reduce that same occurrence as a result of three putting from where your short game shot ends up, right? So if you can get it inside 12 feet, generally your three putt percentage drops like a rock and you might throw in a couple makes, right? Whereas you can still, for level two golfer, you can still throw in some three putts from 15, 16, 17, 18 feet, right? So that's more of what I, how I kind of look at it. You're just, you're, you're trying to throw in maybe a couple makes, but the, the doubles that you make or even the triples that you make aren't going to be as much because you are three putting from where your short game shot ended up. How, do we have a sense of how strong the disruptors play into someone who shoots in the eighties? Like how, how often are we giving one away? Yeah, it's still it's yeah. You, you need to you need to keep keep going down, but I don't know if it's actually going to be going down at the same rate as the three putts are going down. I would. That's a good question. Um, I would say that there's still plenty of disruptors in level two players. In yes. The short game. Yeah. Especially early on in level yeah. two, for sure. And so you still have to be. So maybe maybe the visualization here is Robbie like. As the shot becomes more difficult, you know, am I am I going to sort of I don't want to say use the term punt, but am I going to sort of play the safe one when the stakes are high as far as the shot goes? Yes, yeah, yeah. And, yes. and on the easy ones, I, I got to start hitting them closer. I, I guess that's probably the way yes. that it probably plays out here. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And and so to get it closer more often. Is it fair to say mm-hmm. that I'm probably going to start using more loft more often in this this range too, or am I still going to be? Probably. I, I just think that your ability to 
predict how the golf ball is going to interact after it lands and then be able to carry the ball the distance that you intend are going to be the, the big factors there, right? So you need to start matching up. Ugh, I hate the term matching up, but you need to start you need to start um, cor- coordinating okay. coordinating the land angle with how far the ball carries, right? So for a given shot, starting to figure out, hey, if, if the ball lands a little steeper onto the green, I need to carry it a little closer to the hole. If it lands a little bit flatter onto the green, I, I don't need to carry it quite as far. So you're starting to coordinate that. Therefore, your ability to simply carry the ball the distance that you want becomes a bit more important yeah. for those. And so the, the, um, the decision-making there, it, it still lends towards, in my opinion, seeing the ball slow down a little bit different way than a level one player. Like you can, mm-hmm. you can always define your short game skill as being able to slow the ball down at the right time. Like I love the visual yeah. description of that. So level one player is not playing a lot of shots that spin and skid and stop, right? Yeah. Level yeah, two, yeah. Eh, you're going to start maybe seeing a little bit of that because I think that as you talk yeah. about proximity and trying to get it into those places where you're never going to three putt, you're going to make a one putt a little bit more often. Um, especially in certain areas of the green, I've got to play it in there softer, you know, and it could, because the mm-hmm. landing spot cannot always be off the green if I'm going to start right. worrying about uh, proximity. So I've got to start playing things with a little bit more loft. So that landing spot and that landing, um, what you call it, land angle and, yes. and spin plays into this as well, that yep. I can get the ball to slow down in a place that gives me a reasonable, you know, at least chance at a putt and never hopefully pre-putting. So if you're looking at going over the bunker short-sided, yeah, now I'm going to start playing some different shots, I would think. Um, Even from the front of greens where you have a little bit of a swale, you're probably, you know, front pin. Maybe I'm still, maybe maybe I'm now, I'm starting to play a little bit more sand wedge, check it in there. Um, But again, the key here is, sort of the measuring stick, can I make good contact with the ball time and time yes. and time and time and time again? Because um, if I can't make that good, solid contact, then I got I to gotta start playing those flatter shots, I think. Yes. Yeah, and like just because you're a level two golfer doesn't mean you have a level two short game. Yeah, true. Yeah, we're <laughs> right? trying to give you that visual. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, you could be – you could you could have a great short game and not hit the ball in <laughs> Very well, I guess. Right, so, <laughs> you could be. Yeah. We're talking to the average, the average kind of level two player. But as you're getting down to wanting to be a level one player, that's a little bit of a different story. So as we talk about P12, should we bring in P12 and P6? Is this probably a good? Yeah, P12 is for level two golfers. It's P12, really, is what they're mm-hmm. looking at. And so they got to start thinking maybe a little bit about the P6 concept as well, because I would say. A, if they're going to improve, that might be yeah back into level yeah. As two. you're pushing yeah. your skill set forward, like we discussed in our in our last episode, we were talking about practicing in a way that makes our skills improve. Okay, so if you're scaling some short game practice, level one versus level two versus level three, um, and you're challenging yourself to be able to execute shots, proximity for level one on the green, proximity for level two is going to be in that twelve foot uh, position. And then maybe starting to think about a certain percentage of shots inside of six feet as well, because I do want to start developing that short game that gets me to hopefully level three 
elite stats. Correct. And what I would say is that in the quote-unquote testing that I've done, um, typically your level two golfers, their dispersion is going to be bigger, uh, much bigger actually, long to short, than it will be right to left. So I've very rarely seen a dispersion that is, uh, if you look at 12 feet radius, like that big right to left. So typically to get inside 12 feet, 90 plus percent of that is going to be uh, their ability to marry the the land angle with the distance that they're hitting. And that starts with contact. It has to start with just making good contact. So kind of say say that again because I think that was a really important thing that you just said. You were talking about distance from the hole right and left versus long and short. Yeah, the like if you think of your dispersion is it, the dispersion is not a circle, right? Everyone, you you've got to understand this is that depending on your skill level, you're going to be better at controlling the ball right to left than you are long to short, or you might be better at controlling the ball long to short than you are controlling the ball right to left. So level two golfers, especially in their short game, are going to be better at controlling the ball right to left than they are controlling the ball long to short. So, and I've, I've rarely seen, if not ever seen, a lateral or a right-to-left dispersion that would get them outside of 12 feet very often, whereas I've seen long-to-short dispersions that would <laughs> make their percentage inside 12 feet uh, much lower than it needs to be. Yeah, and so that boils down to, am I hitting, am I hitting it and judging it well? Um, yeah. Most people can step up on a little chip shot and figure out what the aim should be, at least in a general sense. Then can I execute? Yep. Can I execute the shot, which controls the distance well? And that's that's the hard part of the technique, in my opinion. So it goes back to how do I know how do I know when to bite off the type of shot that I need to try to play? Um, and and I give some yep. people some decision making on this, and I I'll, I'd be interested to see if you agree or disagree because this is just something I made up over time. Okay, so if I'm especially level two golfer, level one's probably not playing into this at all because I'm just begging them to put the putt from everywhere as much as I can. Level two golfer, I'll say something like, if you feel like you can execute this shot into a decent proximity three three times in a row then you should play it on the course. And if you don't feel like you can execute it three times in a row, and that, and maybe one or two of those that I don't execute are disaster shots that are off the green or whatever, then you should yep. not be attempting that shot. Now, again, there's no science behind that, but that's just sort of like on the course, what is my, what is my rule of thumb for, okay, am I comfortable enough, am I good enough with this shot to execute it in a way that's going to get me, you know, scoring well on this yeah. hole in front of me? Yeah, I've seen some pretty solid math that shows that, like, if you give people five golf balls, if they can do it four out of five, that typically gets them. Because the what you don't want to do is you don't want to choose a strategy that would give you five out of five. No. And that sounds counterintuitive, but if you're going to be five out of five, it's likely that you're going to be so conservative that you're actually losing shots on the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You're not taking enough risk to where you're getting some potential reward, maybe throw in a P6 here yeah. and there, right? But if you're below four out of five, let's say you're only three out of five, then you're probably losing shots, obviously, because... One or two of those misses may cost you, like Hunter said, a shot. Could cost you more than a shot, right? Half. Exactly. So that's, that's a heavy miss. So, 
so what the beauty of this is like a lot of the motor learning research too shows that after about five repetitions of the same thing, our brain tends to get disengaged. So that's like my favorite thing on course to do is like five golf balls. Let's test out our strategy. If we can do four out of five, then we know that that is about where we should be. I like that. Um, The sense for me with three in a row is just saying like, I wanted them to think, can I really execute this with confidence? That was really the question that I was trying to, Pose them, but I like the four out of five thing. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Depending on how you're wired, it depends on if some yeah. people have lots yeah. of self belief, and other people are like, no, "I could never do this." Yeah. Well, it gives them. It, you know, you don't ever really have to do anything four out of five. Like, you don't have to do anything three in a row. But like, it gives you some insight into the game theory side of golf, and to understand that risk is needed if you're going to push yourself beyond your skill level and and reach a higher goal, which is why we're here. But we don't want to be so risk averse to where that's not achievable. So it's, yeah, it kind of goes uh, on both ways. Awesome. So I I love that visual. Um, And then remembering that again, who am I as a player? So when I say pull up, pull it off four out of five times um, for level one player, that's on the green. A level two yep. player that's probably safely into a two putt zone, um, P12. and hopefully every now yep. and again getting getting up and down, and then that kind of takes us. Does that take us to level three here? Um, yes. So level three is a little yep. bit of a, a different story. I think you start to see a a jump in skill here that's pretty dramatic, in my opinion, uh, with the, yeah. just the ability. Because if you're going to get all the way to level three, you basically I hate to say you don't miss these shots because you do. I mean, obviously, see Victor Hovland struggle with it up into uh, some people oh, miss sure. shots, but I mean, the ability to control a, an elite level short game is pretty is pretty phenomenal. So you really, at this point, you I don't want to say you take your contact for granted. It's sort of a given that you're able to hit that shot solidly most every time. Mm-hmm. Now it's more about yep. controlling those sort of optimizing aspects of it the speed of the shot and the spin and the trajectory and the landing spot um in a way that gets us yep. to the proximity of six feet so why is why is six feet like the number i know we already discussed it but let's go back and revisit this again six feet from the hole why is that a big deal yeah yeah that's um that's where your make percentage if i can look at uh look at my numbers here uh, P6 for an elite golfer, they're going to make uh, 75%. So, yeah. Right? So if if we want to really start cutting bogeys, right, the, you know, eight's about 50-50. So, you know, if we can start getting them inside six, really the, the six feet is a strong predictor of your ability to get the ball yeah. up and down. It, it's much stronger than, than eight foot would be, right? But we don't want to say, you know, Obviously, four would be even stronger, but you know, four is really hard. So we choose six as kind of like it's a very doable task. That's also it's like the it's like the most doable task. That's also the highest correlated with your ability to get so the ball up. And I down. may be making this up because I read so many things and then they stick in my mind. But you know, when you teach golf all day long, when you when something sticks in your mind, you think you think about it all the time, like because you're, you're teaching through the lens of that. Yep. So where I heard this, I don't know, but. Um, I believe the stat of up and downs for for tour we're talking about tour players is roughly fifty percent 
tour average year to year. Is that about right? Somewhere around there. And yep. I believe, I believe so. that 80 plus percent of the time they get it up and down, they've hit it inside of six feet. Yeah. Okay. So yes. you can see Correct. the correlation here. Um, big, strong correlation. And, and Very like we said, much like, so, yeah. That's where you make the highest percentage of your putts. You move back to eight feet, tour players are 50-50 putting, which blows people's mind. Man, when I'm watching them on TV, they make everything. Well, that's because you're watching the leaders. So a lot of times they're making those putts and they're leading. But the fact of the matter is year after year after year hasn't changed, which I think is interesting. It's eight feet. You know, every year is 50-50. It's a, it's a coin toss. So if we're going to get it up and down a good percentage of the time, six feet, is the common denominator. So what about the what about the skill there? Um, do you think as you're working with, because you work with some really elite players, like super elite, you know, world ranking type players. When you're talking about the short game with them, what is it that, what is it, what are the skills within the skill there that they're really, like, I don't know if we use micro skills or whatever, but what are the skills within the skills? Yeah. And how do they train them yeah. in a way that takes them to that level? Yeah, so again, just recapping. So level one would be just basically impact spot on the face. Level two, we're starting to talk about club head speed and starting to match a little bit of loft to that, um, provide that the club face is somewhere uh, in a reasonable range. Then once you get to level three, everything has to be in line, right? And I would start with a lot of these elite players with reading the green. <laughs> so for their short game shots their ability to read what the ball is going to do when it hits the green because the green and the slope does affect the direction the ball bounces, right? So when it hits, it's deflecting off the slope at a certain angle, right? And they need to be able to predict that angle at which it's going to deflect. But then once the ball starts rolling, it's figuring out what's it going to do as it starts rolling and how is it going to stop. And then it's not only predicting what it's going to do when it hits the green, but it's predicting what the ball is going to do out of the lie that it's sitting in. And then it's being able to match what they're doing with the club to their intended sort of ball speed, launch angle, spin to get the ball to land where they wanted based off of their read. Right. So I know that was kind of a long winded way to get to there, but really we're, we're, we're not taking it for granted, but we're taking a little bit of that, contact for granted a little bit obviously they can control the face right to left more than good enough um, their ability to produce their intended club head speed is very very high if it's not the club head speed that was in, uh, required for the shot it was because they didn't predict how the ball was going to react mm-hmm. in that environment right. correctly so it's more of the prediction skills that i tend yeah. to work on and with so them. judging things like the lie of the ball and is there is there do yeah I, I break things down into like a, B, C, yeah. D, lie, right? So A, lie is going to be basically a fairway. B is going to be sitting up. Uh, C is going to be sitting down. And then D is going to be just buried, like or like really into the grain, uh, wet, long grass. So we come up with strategies for each of these different lies. And so then when the, on the golf course, it's really simple recognition, like, oh, that's a B lie. I remember yeah. what I do with that. And so based off of how the ball comes off a of lie, I'm going to now read the read the land and read the rollout from there. And that's nothing new in golf. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember the pro always saying, your lie dictates the shot. He would say it over and over and over again. And I think 
really, it doesn't dictate the shot. It dictates what types of shots you can play. Uh, but the point was noted. Like, you can't, like, Eric, you can't play that shot from there. That was stupid. <laughs> you know, the lie of the ball was not going to allow for you to do that. So you have to learn that, right? You have to go through those phases Correct. of development. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, which I think is is fun. It's fun to note. It's like, you and I have both gone through this whole development process. From We're not tour elite, but, we, you know, from someone who's never played golf to being a beginner golfer to shoot, you know, hopefully breaking 91 day was a big deal. And then breaking 81 day was a big deal. And now, you know, scoring averages in the low seventies that put us in that, in that category of elite player. And we've developed, you know, and maybe some of it could have been done faster and more efficiently if we'd have had the golf intervention podcast to listen to when we that's were right. kids. And that's what we're trying to give you listener is like, let's take this step by step and build yourself up, build your skills up. And you can kind of get a picture of what it takes to go from level one, two, and three. And if I'm a level one player, I'm not, I'm not going to have that ability to, to spin the ball and, you know, do all these things that maybe the level three player does, but I should be working towards that. That's what I should be working towards. I should be exploring in my practice and taking a lesson and, and doing the things that Rob talks about. So as you get to elite player, Really controlling the – being adaptable to the shot, right? Don't you think it's more like you see a high percentage of the shots now being played with one club and then being highly adaptable yes. to the lies that you're talking about and the distances and the – Yeah, I, th- I think um, I think most of the adaptability is, um, is training more of the level two golfer. I think once you get to level three – it's more their ability to predict because they are they're able they're well adapted to what they think is going to happen but it's like getting their perception of what they think is going to happen versus what actually happens closer together is really i think where the yeah. magic happens level 1 golfers you're just trying to get some level of functionality right level 2 is more about okay can we start to adapt and start to um, like what, like I was talking about with the um, the land angle and the distance. Like, can we start to take a very fundamental skill of impact location, and then we can start to introduce some variability and some adaptability within yeah. that skill, right? So then, once you get to level three, you've got the skills. You you know how to adapt relative to all these lies, and all these slopes, and all these distances. But really, what's going to separate you is your ability to parse out what's irrelevant versus what's relevant information and then be able to make an accurate prediction based off of that relevant information and then commit because there's all these distractions, all this other stuff that's, that's going to get in your way, but be able to commit to acting on that prediction that you made and then, and then taking in the feedback from that, and then, to your point, Eric, being adaptable relative yeah. to that feedback and be able to take that, what just happened on the first three holes, and be able to do something different or more in line with what's needed yeah. on the fourth And I hole. think the, um, that was well said. Because the, the predictable piece is, you know, if you wa- when we watch golfers, like, we don't watch a lot of non-great golfers. You and I do because we're, you know, I'm talking about non-elite tour players. You and I do because we're, we're playing with yeah. them, we're teaching them, we're coaching them. So we're so used to watching the players on TV, the guys and the gals that are so good with their short game. And you'll notice that it's rare that they really miss it. You know, they they, they misjudge it, to your point, right? It's mm-hmm. like, 
oh, that ball came yeah, out a little exactly. slow, or that ball came out a little fast, or, you know, that one. It, it, it kicked forward on the first bounce. Or. That's, that's why it just drives me crazy when I see, like, I'm not going to name any names, but, like, tour, quote-unquote, tour coaches in putting who work on just line with these tour pros. Like, oh, you just got to start on line, start on line, start on line. Like, <laughs> they are the top point zero one percent of players on earth i think their ability to start the ball reasonably online is going to be there it's it's just there's other stuff in the environment that is not allowing them to start the ball where it actually needs to start relative to a certain correct environment so your ability to judge and read and understand and adapt and execute yep so if I'm practicing, as I say, kind of going back to now I'm a level three golfer, aspiring level three golfer, and I know six feet is my key predictor that I'm trying to get to. How does one, let's say, practice that? I guess that's a too broad of a question. It would take us 25 minutes to answer. But generally speaking, with your, with your great, great players that you coach up, um, is there one favorite drill or something that they work on um, to really execute that six, into, into six foot shot? Or what's the? I guess it depends on what they're working on. I understand that, but um, is there yep. one favorite thing you have them do? I guess not one favorite, but I, I really like doing things in the context of actually playing. Right, so I'll I'll modify the rules of the game, or I'll, when they're out playing, I'll I'll do something to challenge them and to get them just literally thinking about six feet. I think that's, that's a big deal. Like when they're out playing, just reminding them in that moment, like, Hey, your intention here is within six feet and just harping on that and doing something in within the context of the game that forces them to start with that intention. Because I think even for these great players, they, they get into the heat of the moment and then they're, their processes that they worked on leave them because all of a sudden they now think, Oh, I just got, I got to stuff this one. I got to, I got to make this chip because I've got to birdie one of these last right. three holes or, or whatever. Right. Like stuff there's that just stuff that, that, for, yeah, that happens to that. Yeah. 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 So I think it's just starting with the intention and just literally playing golf with the intention when they miss a green of hitting it inside six feet. And you can do this in multiple different ways. Like you can put, uh, visual markers out around six feet. I think understand getting them to see what six feet is, I think is a pretty big deal because it opens up the affordances a little bit. Like I had one situation, uh, I think last year where, um, you know, they kind of chose the shot. I saw them rehearsing the shot that they were, they were going to hit. And then before they went, I said, Hey, can, do you mind if I just like just show you where six feet is. And so I went back behind the hole and I showed them six feet on the mm-hmm. back half of the hole. And then once they saw like, Oh, I can put it anywhere between the hole and, and back there. I was like, did that, does that change your options? Does that change how you perceive the shot? It's like, yeah, I've actually got more room for air. I don't have to really open it up as much and try to, you know, hit this flop shot. Like I can actually hit pretty kind of just a, like a mid, a hot, like slightly high, higher pitch shot, um, land it comfortably on the green and let it roll out to four feet, five feet past the hole. Yeah. And I've done my job. And I think, yeah. Right. So totally. it, yeah, I've seen, I've seen that. that. And I think that visual is so good, right? Like, um, 
just trying to, and it's like the dispersion off the tee. Like you just got to predict where that, you know, picture where you think your skill set is and then see if you can fit it in there in a way that's not too risky. But the, but the elite player, man, they think about the hole, the middle of the hole a lot, you know, and it's like sometimes as you right. go, I, I, I don't define it ABCD necessarily as the lie alone. I, I do the same thing, but it, it's a little bit more of the whole shot. Like, you know, um, is there a bunker in play? Is it short-sided? What's the lie like as an ABCD yeah. situation? And, you know, as you're going through those ABCD situations, you also have to start thinking about, well, is 12 feet really good from here rather than six feet sometimes? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. It's not every, even for level three golfer, like in certain situations, not every shot is your number one goal six yeah. feet, right, to your point. Like it might just be yeah. a get it on the green and, shot. And can, we, <laughs> right? can we dispel so, this? It may have been the I approach shot. I do fault. think these conventions that sort of sometimes get in the way of productive um, skill development uh, can be – you know, over time learned and studied and regurgitated and all of a sudden you're like, everybody believes this thing and I've got to just address it. And one of them is this visual that when you're when you're hitting these short game shots, that you're trying to always leave yourself an uphill putt. Um, oh gosh. And so yeah. and, you know, there was a very predominant short game instructor that actually had a had a graphic with this and he would say like this is the best place to leave it. And this is here's the point. Well, yeah, of course, but that's like if you put your strategy around that, then you're going to literally leave it further from there you the hole. Go. Okay, so we're not. It's it, you might as well just say you're robbing yeah, Peter to pay if Paul. You think that you're good enough to do that? You might as well just say chip it in every time. Because why? Why? Exactly. Why chip it past if you can just chip it in? Like, what's the point, right? Like, why? Right. Do you, you know. So the point is, no one's dispersion is that no small. Yeah, that, exactly. No one's that good. Although I've seen some pretty good chippers, um, but yeah, you're you're not you're not trying to think of it that way. You're just trying to get it into the proximity. I like your chances at six. I like my chances on a downhill six footer. By the way, I always putt better downhill than uphill. That's just more than an uphill yeah, seven I mean, footer. I can say so, that. Um, Me too. I know I make more putts on the downhill side. So there's no there's no correlation to that at all anyway. So anyway, I just wanted to point yeah. that out as one of our conventions that people hold dear. Yes. We just got to get away from it. It's like every putt should go three feet past or two feet past. Oh, no, please. Oh, stop. my gosh. Anyhow, yeah. <laughs> if I was good enough to put it, put it two feet past every time, why not just put it in the middle of the hole? I'll ask it. Yeah, the, the deep questions we take on in the golf intervention podcast. So, um, do you have anything else to add to the elite level three uh, short game here, Rob? I don't, but I think one new question I had for the podcast that I am going to spring on you uh, as a surprise. Oh, don't! What is which? Which is what, Rob? This is something that maybe we can throw out or or have as an integral part of our podcast moving forward. Cause we talked about how all three uh -huh. levels are different and most of what we've talked about is in the skill yeah. realm. Right. But what can all three, what can all three levels, all players of all levels do to improve their short game? All three levels. And this can be, this can be things that we've seen uh, mm -hmm. movement wise that are, I would say from an affordance standpoint would open up or close off a lot of the affordances, but things that you tend to see and things that you tend to encourage for all three levels, 
is there first off is there anything that would be consistent across mm-hmm. all three levels yeah. i think there is um not talking about like middle of the face face mm-hmm. reasonably you know speed not the not the impact variables not right. the skill stuff more in terms of like how oh, they're producing how they're, that skill yeah um yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definite commonalities. Is that what you're saying between all three? I think an ability to control one's uh, tension level and one's tempo of their of their stroke. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's if yeah, that's where you're going or somewhere else, but like, yeah, I, I, I think totally that agree. the, yeah, the no. rhythm and the tempo or whatever and the tension that all plays together. Yes, and this ability to swing it in a way that you know, again, it kind of goes back to some of the conventions that we talk about. Meaning, I see people all the time that are like, I can't decelerate, I can't decelerate. And the problem with that is they're, they're trying to create a stroke that goes way longer than their backswing stroke. And that's creating all kinds of issues um, in their swing a lot of the yeah. times, right? Most of the time. Yes. So um, I, I'm always working on trying to get a rhythm um, to the swing, and, and obviously starts with tension. Um, to get some type of feel for how I'm going to really control the amount of power that I put into it. And obviously lends to things like consistency of the strike as well. Um, did yep. you have a different thought on that? I 1000% agree with that. Absolutely. If you've spent any time, if you've taken a lesson from me, you know that, that I agree with that. Um, the one thing that I'm going to say is I think the foot rhythm and how the feet pressure the ground, uh, I think all three levels can work on. And I think we'll we'll have very very consistent themes across most good short game players. So first off, the pressure in the feet change during the swing. Let me just let that settle there for a bit. So this means that in the best short game players in the world, the best level two short game players, the best level one short game players, they are not keeping the pressure on a certain part or of the foot or on a certain foot the entire time. But there's a difference between your weight and kind of your mass and kind of your, where your body is in space Mm -hmm. and the pressure, right? So I'm just talking about if you had a, if you had a bathroom scale underneath each foot, right? The, the dial on that bathroom scale on each foot is changing in the swing. And so what we typically see with the best twerking players in the world is that early on in the backswing, they're going to unweight their lead foot. So the pressure is going to come off of the left foot in the early parts of the backswing. As it kind of moves into the instep heel and base of the big toe of the right foot. Now what's key is that as that's happening, their center of mass, their body, their weight moves toward the target Mm -hmm. as that happens. So then what happens is that because that energy is going up as you're kind of falling left, the pressure is going to come back onto that left foot basically around the time that the club reaches mm-hmm. the top of the backswing. And then after that point, really the the pressure stays very stable. I, I don't like that word stable, but it'll move a little bit into the heel as that energy kind of moves up back and around them mm-hmm. to the finish. So I think if you can work on, number one, understanding that the pressure needs to change, I do prefer a slightly narrower stance with, oh, with yeah. for the wedges. But allowing the pressure to come off, it's like slipping. It's like lifting the the foot from the shoe without the base of the shoe coming off the ground. It's like slipping a magazine underneath your left foot. So, like, just allow the pressure to come off the left foot 
as the club and your arms swing back, as your weight, as your head goes towards the target mm-hmm. a couple inches, right? And then from then, it's just up. It's not back. It's not toward the ball, right? It's just up, and it can be away from the ball. I, kinda, I don't mind moving away from the ball oh, a little yeah. bit. But up, back, yeah. and around. Um, yeah, to, to I mean, because I think yeah. that that opens up the door for you to play a variety of really great shots in the short game. So your ability to move yeah. in that way is what great players do. And then you're going to move, you know, learn. if you stood there and said, I, I'm going to try to hit the green from here, it's going to be a more rigid, more static thing. But to improve, yeah. you got to learn how to move better, right? That's the whole. That's the whole point. So that's that's a good visual on what we're trying to build up in in that motion, and I think you're seeing that. You know, obviously you can see it with really good players. The pitfalls or the opposite of that is when people are thinking like, "I've got to stay still and hit down," <laughs> you know, and that that's probably the very worst thing that you can do. So if you're trying to get a we're trying to get the yeah, club under the ball. Oh, I hate that it's one. It's the very worst thing that you can do. So, yes, you've got to create a rhythm. You've got to create a weight shift. Um, because at the end of the day, when you're hitting it from 30 yards, it's a swing. You know, this is a – like if you're chipping, that's more of a stroke. It's a lot like putting. Yeah. They're all swings. It's a lot like putting. But when you're, when you're going into a longer shot, especially as you're starting to play with more loft – what Robbie's describing is absolutely imperative. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to control um, the low point of your arc and the middle, you know, contact on the face. Let alone the speed that you're trying to hit it on. So, like, those are the elite aspects of it. And so, building up those movement skills will be super important as you as you go. So, I think that's a that was a really good way to kind of put a bow on all three levels there and kind of. So, as we're talking about. Shots to green. Remember, two buckets of shots. Putts, shots to green. Today we took on one of those three shots, which is short game. Next time we're going to do approach shots. This will be very, very interesting. We're going to have the same. We're going to have the same breakdown. Level one, level two, level three players. I would say if you're if you're a golfer that's aspirational, like let's say I'm a level three golfer, is is listening to the first part of this important? Maybe not, but maybe because because learning how you got there whether you remember or not, is important as mm-hmm. well. And maybe you help other people with their games. So um, we're going to take on approach shots, and then the fun one is going to be driving. We're definitely going to do a bonus episode on on slicing the ball. You and I were talking about this today. Like, I just want to take on the yeah. slice. <laughs> yes. Um, mainly because yes. it's like, I don't know. I just feel like we got to put the right information yeah. out about about that shot. So uh, we'll do. maybe we'll yeah. call that bonus episode or something. We'll I'd like to do a bonus episode on the yeah. yips too. I don't know if you'd maybe, be interested maybe in doing when that, we get, yeah. get just general. You're not talking putting yips. You're talking overall the sensation of yipping. Yeah, just yeah, yeah we'll do that general. too. Maybe that'll yeah. be on our on our uh, subscribe the subscription feed. We'll do start to. <laughs> so anyway, like teasing the future. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Golf Intervention Podcast. We're really glad that you tuned in today next time again we're going to take on approach shots that'll be really really fun the term disruptor is going to be probably used a little bit more um, on the next episode i'm hoping that you're tracking your game go back and listen to uh season two episode one this is uh it'll this is one that's i'm excited about i actually haven't determined what i'm going to call it yet rob but i'm thinking it's going to be like five 
steps to great golf in 2024 or something like that. And, and I want you to leave, you probably have already heard it by the time I'm talking, but go back and listen to that again, because I want you to play your best golf in this season. And I think you can do it. And that's why we're, that's why we're bringing all this stuff up. We want you to learn. We want you to play better. If there's someone in your life that needs a golf intervention, please share the show with them. We'd love if you did that. Uh, sharing is caring. I've learned that once. Did you learn sharing is caring, Rob? Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna oh, have yeah. all these cool songs Absolutely. that you and Jackson are gonna sing when he goes to daycare. He's gonna learn about sharing his <laughs> caring and the cleanup song and all this fun stuff. So, as uh, as he gets older, you're gonna learn all these fun things. But sharing is caring. Give someone a golf intervention; it's free for them. So why not help them out? We appreciate you tuning in. And until next time, go work on your game. You're gonna have your best year this year. I promise. Out. Cheers. <laughs>